Amen. I invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me this morning. Uh, you can turn in them to uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend some time. Uh, for those of you who maybe don't know where we're at, we are in the middle of a uh, short series that we have called Essential Elements. And what we're doing is looking back to the early church, uh, looking at some of the essential elements uh, that made up their life together and all that they did, um, and considering how we might make those essential elements for us even today. Uh, so our, our home base, if you will, the passage we've been kind of working out of is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 through 47, uh, where we see kind of a, a brief summary, kind of a 30,000-foot view of uh, what was taking place in the life of the early church in those uh, first days. So far, uh, the last two weeks we've spent in this series, we've looked at uh, the essential elements of preaching God's Word. Uh, and last week, Bill Warner covered for us the essential element of prayer. This morning, I want to turn our attention to the essential elements in the church of hospitality. Now, I know that when we think hospitality, what probably jumps to our minds is throwing a good party, you know, having a good spread of food, having good and fun activities. In general, probably what comes to mind is the equivalent of entertaining, that we have people over to our homes and just we can do the best thing. We might think of the Mary and Martha situation that goes on, right? The, the busy body, and can we, can we make it a pleasant time for our guests in our homes? When we think of hospitality, you've maybe heard the saying, you know, they say that some people either make you feel at home or some people make you wish that you were at home. And hopefully within the church that we are a group of people that make others feel at home uh, rather than counting the time and minutes until they get to go home. Um, so that's the, the goal and prayer uh, for biblical hospitality, which is what uh, we want to turn our attention to this morning. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we're told that the early church, the believers, were regularly, we're told, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. So I do want to pose the question for us at the outset of the message today and ask, when's the last time that somebody invited you and your family to their home for dinner? Just think about it. No agenda. No other events going on, just invited you over for dinner. And when's the last time, then to make it a little more personal, that you invited somebody to your home for dinner? No church event, no small group function, no agenda, just to have someone over, share a meal together, and some fellowship. For some of us, uh, I know the reality probably is that it hasn't been that long. Some, maybe this week, you're like, man, I feel like three or four times this week we had people over or we were at someone else's house. Uh, it feels like we're always on the go. For others of us, you might be sitting there and you're like spinning tires like, man, when is the last time? Now that you bring that up, I can't think of the last time that we invited someone over just to, to grill a, a burger and have a meal together and enjoy some time. And I get it because... We're busy people. I know that in today's world there's a lot going on and we have commitments and we spread ourselves pretty thin typically. But as we look at uh, Acts and we look at the early church, we can't help but recognize that this hospitality, this spending time together was an essential element of their life with one another. And while Acts doesn't say, hey, do this, many times throughout the other letters in the New Testament, many times as, as Paul, as Peter, as they write to the church, as they write to believers, they say, this is something that we ought to be doing. That as Christians, this is an essential element of our life together with one another. That we would be hospitable, that we would show hospitality towards other people. 
And so uh, that leads to the question, then, what exactly do they have in mind? Do they have in mind just throwing a good dinner party and that's, you know, you have people over and you have a fun game and you, you cook some really good food and, you know, it's, hospitality is really for the extroverts of the, of the group, right? Because we like to have people over. It's fun to be around a bunch of people, but the introverts, those of us, and I lump myself with that, who are more introverted, it's, leave that to the extroverts, right? They can be the ones that do all the, the hospitality deeds. What does the Bible have in mind? Now, Hospitality itself, if you were to look in a, in a concordance in the back of your Bible or to look up the word, the word hospitality itself only shows up a couple of times in the scriptures. And most of the time, most of those instances where, you know, Paul or Peter will use the word hospitality, they're just saying be hospitable, show hospitality. They, they don't uh, spend even a few sentences to outline, well, what exactly is it? They're just like, do it, do it. So what, what does that mean? If we were to, to look at that Greek word that they were to bring up, the, the idea of hospitality, the idea behind being hospitable is, is one of two things. It's to extend love to a stranger or to be a generous host to a guest. That's, that's the idea that gets brought up uh, behind that word. So biblical hospitality involves a little bit more than just throwing a good dinner party. Biblical hospitality does a little bit more than just having some friends over. Biblical hospitality demands a little bit more of who we are than just what we do. It involves the what, but it also asks the question of how. But with those ideas in mind, the extending love to a stranger and being, a generous, being generous to a guest, the principle of hospitality is taught all throughout the Scriptures, woven throughout the Scriptures. We see it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And that's why I want to turn our attention uh, to Luke chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to start in verse 25. Just for a, a picture, a snapshot into the idea of what biblical hospitality may look like. Uh, in Luke uh, chapter 10 verse 25, Luke writes this. And he says, And behold, a lawyer uh, stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So here you've got this scene where you have a lawyer, a man of the law, who's come up and is challenging Jesus, and this is trying to put him on the spot, as so many people tried to do throughout Jesus' life and ministry. Well, what exactly is the means to get, attaining eternal life? And so Jesus turns it right back. And this is the, the beauty of Jesus' teaching, isn't it? That he always asks the question. He asks the question that makes you think. Ask the question that makes you examine the Scriptures. He doesn't just always give you the answer straight out. So what, is the, what does the law say? And the lawyer, being a lawyer, a man of the law, can go back and say, okay, yeah, it's, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And he goes through that, the great Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then he, he, he lumps in here, then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, you nailed it. you got to do these things and live. And so let's pat our backs. Well, it's easy to love your neighbor. Who exactly is your neighbor? And Jesus goes and shares the parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Starting in verse 30, Jesus replied, it says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The parable of the Good Samaritan offers an awesome picture of biblical hospitality. The parable is given in response to, to outlining who's the neighbor, who, who's the person that I should show love to, who's, the, who's that person that I should love as myself. And Jesus tells this story, and it would have been full of all the, the shock and awe of the culture of the day, the, the Samaritans and the Jews, and all that went into their rivalry and their hatred for each other. And, and, and here's this story that would have put it right in the center of the man's heart. Who's your neighbor? Here it is. Here it is. And the Samaritan is the one in this story who shows what hospitality would be like. Now, does the Samaritan throw a big party for the man who is taken by robbers? No. Does he grill up the best spread of food? Does he have uh, the best meal that you could put together for a, a host of guests? No. Does he bake up the most delicious desserts with the, the most perfect presentation? No. But does he show hospitality? Does he extend love to a stranger? Is he generous to a guest? Yes. The Samaritan is the one who shows us what hospitality, in essence, looks like. And Jesus, in this parable, is, to, is teaching this is what it means, if you will. This is a demonstration, if you will, of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Oh, your soul. And this is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I'm reminded that as, as the lawyer answers Jesus there, he answers correctly. Right? Jesus says, you nailed it on the head. You answered, this is what the law says. Love God, love your neighbor. And elsewhere in Luke, uh, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus is challenged again by a scribe who asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And what's Jesus' answer? The same thing. He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says there is no other commandment greater than these. Now it's obvious, we're probably, or most of us probably familiar with that great Shema, the Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're familiar with those things. But that love your neighbor as yourself comes from maybe a little bit of a lesser known passage in Leviticus chapter 19. Now I don't know how many of you guys have, have uh, poured over the pages of Leviticus and really spent your time in the book of Leviticus. It tends to be one that we don't uh, go to a whole lot, but that's where this comes from. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, God instructs his people, commands his people, then he says that when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. He says you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you 
as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, I want to highlight two key principles that, are, that come out in that uh, commandment. The two key principles, one, uh, first, let's remember that that commandment was given not just to a couple of individuals, not just to the leaders of Israel, but it was given to the people of Israel, corporately. As a member of God's people, as a member of God's house, this is what you are expected to fulfill. This is God's command to you. So there's not one person that could point and say, well, I didn't treat the sojourner. I didn't treat the stranger as a native. I didn't love them myself because they were supposed to do that. No, God's expectation is that you would do that, that the individual family would do that, and that as uh, collectively we do those things, that would be part of our nature, part of our our culture as his people, that we would be generous towards the outsider. And so the the first principle that I want to highlight there is to, to treat the outsider like an insider. So what's the meaning of biblical hospitality? Treat the outsider like an insider. Now, I know that my wife and I, we like, to, we like to have people over to our house. We like to have you know, people for dinner. We like to do game nights. We like to do some of those things, and we don't always get to do them as much as we wish. But we recognize that in our house, that in our dining room is where we typically will sit down and eat meals as a family. And we do that on a daily basis, right? We're, we always sit down. Uh, Bree and I and our, our boys are always there. Sometimes Henry's kind of doing his little thing because, you know, he's like eight months old. Uh, but Pete will sit down. We'll, we'll all have a dinner. I don't know that I would call that hospitality, right? Because that's our responsibility as parents. It's my responsibility as the breadwinner of the home to put food on our table, to feed my children. But when we invite a guest, when we invite a a family or a friend into our home and we sit around that table together for a time, I am treating that person as if they are my own. They're eating my food. They're eating at my table. They're in my home. I am extending to them the same benefits, the same blessings of being my child, being my family. I'm sharing with them. We do that as we welcome guests into our home. And, and for a while, we will then treat the outsider, the one who is not part of our family, as family, as an insider. And that's the, the principle of what we are to do in biblical hospitality as we're hospitable towards each other, to treat the outsider as if they're an insider, the stranger as if they're a native. Now, uh, to answer what that is supposed to look like, we might need to ask the question, well, what on earth are we supposed to treat the insider like? Because let's be honest, we live in a day and age where we don't always do a great job of treating the insiders well. We live in a day and age where sometimes we, we don't treat the ones within our family well. Sometimes we live in a day and age where we don't treat ourselves well, and we don't treat other members in the church well. And so well, what's the expectation for how we ought to treat each other? And then we extend that to the one who's outside of us. So uh, Romans chapter 12, Paul brings to highlight here, he says this, Let love be genuine. He says, Abhor or hate, despise, be disgusted at what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. He says, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. It's as if Paul is saying, listen, if there's one thing that we ought to compete against each other as Christians, it should be in outdoing one another and showing honor. 
Competing against each other and serving one another. Going above and beyond and say, I want to go above and beyond to serve you. To show you honor, to lift you up. Verse 11, he says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, and contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Let your love be genuine. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. Love each other with brotherly affection. Now do each other in showing honor. Be fervent in spirit. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In other words, Paul is saying, be all things to all people. Live in harmony with each other. Be as one body. Be one with each other. And so in essence, if we are to show hospitality as the church, as God's people, we are to take the same love and the same dignity and respect, the same honor and the same care and concern, the same generosity, the same kindness, and extend that to the outsider and the stranger. Treat them as a native. Treat them as if they are one of your own. And let God do the business that God can do. Love your enemies. Feed them. Give them something to drink. We share that stuff with others. Treat the outsider like an insider. Back to Leviticus 19, the second principle is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's kind of the, the point of Jesus' entire parable, identifying the neighbor. Right? We're going to talk a little bit more about the actions and stuff that are involved with this, but to stop for a second recognize that the person we are to love, the people that we are to love as ourself, is not just that bubbly and kind person that always makes you feel like a million bucks that you just love, and I mean, their, their face lights you up, and you're like, oh, it's such a joy to see so-and-so. Your neighbor's not just your, your closest friends, your family. It's not just the person who lives next door to you. Your neighbor's not the person that you like or that's easy to get along with, but your neighbor in reality is also the person who's a grouch that lives a couple doors down. You're like, dude, stay off their lawn. That's your neighbor. Your neighbor's the difficult person that you want to avoid when you see him walk in the room. Your neighbor is that lazy coworker that you're always picking up their slack. They drive you nuts that you're always covering for them. Your neighbor is the person sitting around the room maybe today that you don't know very well. Your neighbor is the person that maybe is your enemy or the person who shares nothing in common with you whatsoever. That your life could not be any more different than theirs and everything in between. And that was the Samaritan. Because it would have made sense for this man when Jesus says that a priest and a Levite walked by. Yeah, yeah. But a Samaritan, you might be like, well, hold on. What, what was a Samaritan even doing there? 
And why would a Samaritan care? Because the Samaritans and the Jews, man, we, listen, we're not exactly on talking terms. They're an awful lot different than us. That would have been as a, I, I just like the way Bill phrases these things, the mental train wreck, the hold on and say what kind of moment as Jesus shares the story. Who's the neighbor? The one who showed him mercy. So Leviticus reminds us that if we are to be hospitable, if we are to show hospitality towards other people, to extend love to a stranger, if we are to uh, be generous to guests, whether it be in our church or in our homes and our communities, we are to do so by treating the outsider as an insider and loving our neighbor as ourself. But God doesn't give us these commandments without showing us what they're supposed to be done or how they're supposed to be done. See, Leviticus uh, 19, verse 34 God says, why do you do these things? Because you were the stranger. You were the exile. You were the one who was a stranger in the land of Egypt. And so in other words, what God is saying is do unto others as has been done to you. So we're reminded as we look at the scriptures, and I want to remind you that the greatest demonstration of what biblical hospitality would be is not done within the confines just of this church, not by uh, the people in this church, but is done by God unto us. That he extended love to the stranger and to the exile. That he extended uh, in, in his great generosity to those who were guests in his creation. First John chapter 4, uh, John writes, And this is love, not that we loved God, But what? That he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and he sent his son to be the satisfaction for God's wrath on behalf of our sins. To settle our debts. To be the one to make things right. So verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, God's not just sitting up in heaven and being like, all right, let's try to figure out how to make life impossible for these people down on earth. Like, I'm going to give them all these commands that just, there's no way they can can do all these things. But, But he gives us these commands and then he fulfills them. They are an embodiment of God's nature and his character and his activity towards us. So as God has loved us, so we ought to love one another. And the one another is not just those friendly people, those nice people, the ones who are like us, the ones who think like us, but it's, it's the neighbor, it's the Samaritan, it's the one that we may see differently from. So I ask myself then this week, who am I? Who am I to not show hospitality to my neighbor if Christ has extended such love and care to me when I was the outsider? Who do I think I am? Who do I think I am to not welcome my neighbor when Christ has welcomed me, the sinner, into his own family? Who do I think I am to not open my home to a neighbor when Christ has opened the door of heaven to me when I didn't deserve it? Who do I think I am to not feed and clothe my neighbor when Christ has supplied all of my needs? Who do I think I am that I'm greater than Christ? Because there's no amount of love and compassion and generosity that I can show towards another person that would surpass that which Christ has already showed to me. And so I love one another. I love the people around me, and I don't do so perfectly. But I ought to do it because Christ has first shown it to me. 
So church, I want to remind you today, because sometimes we need the humble reminder that you and I were once the exiles and the strangers to God. We were the ones who were foreigners to him, but God brought us close so that Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 2, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But that change didn't just happen willy-nilly. That change came with a great cost. God acted to bring that about. His action brought us from far off to close. And so while we think of hospitality often as uh, the actions that, that are involved with it, like the great setup and the hosting, the activity, the, the delivery and the presentation of the food and the drinks and everything in between, but you'll notice that the action that Christ took for us wasn't an action that led, led us to just a more comfortable life. They said, hey, just sit back and just, just enjoy all things. His action wasn't one that just eased all the pain and suffering of our lives. His action was one that dealt with our most fundamental and greatest need. So Paul says in Romans that while we were still what? Christ died for us. While we were friendly towards God, while we were compassionate towards God, while we were uh, looking out for God, while we were on his side and patting him on the back and saying, I'm all for God, and so then God died for us. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. In other words, guys, while we were the foreigner, while we were the exile, while we were the enemy of God, while we had nothing to bring to the table, no good work to merit God's love and affection, his compassion, his hospitality, his anything towards us, Christ died for us. He brought us near. And so I ask you today, are you willing to pay the cost to be hospitable towards a neighbor? True hospitality will be costly to us at some point. Because the actions that will, it will invoke from us are not ones that are just easy and always convenient, but ones where we may go out of our way. We may give it our own expense to help meet the needs of another. The actions aren't just about saying, hey, let's have a great time, but oh, you need, you need some clothes. Let's take care of that. You're running a little short on cash. Let me see what I got. And we give to meet these things because James reminds us in his example in chapter 2 that if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? What good is it? And so remembering that Christ has satisfied all of our deepest needs, in him, how then can we extend that to other people? To look and see the needs of those around us and say, I, I want to be part of the solution. I'm willing to come alongside you. I'm willing to be part of, of what needs to happen to care for your needs. See, that's the beauty and essence of uh, the parable that Jesus shows, what it looks like to, to be a neighbor wasn't just to sit the guy up and give him a quick drink of water and say, hey, have a good day, man. I'm sorry you had a, had a rough one. Tomorrow will be better. Keep your head up. Bandaged his wounds. Threw him on his own animal. Took him to the end. He took care of him. And then he paid for that care to continue and was willing to come back and sell that account later as the example. 
Sometimes hospitality will be costly for us. But are we available and willing to show it towards a brother or sister or a neighbor? Now you may ask, well, what if I don't know the needs of those around me? And that's fair. That's fair. I know the reality is we don't always know the needs of everyone around us. A lot of times the church may know them a lot more, and so as a church we have something we call a benevolence fund. And we have a benevolence fund that's there just for the sole purpose of helping people out who are in need. They have a need, something came up, an emergency. If there's some way that we can help them, we have set aside money that gets touched for nothing else but that purpose. To be a good neighbor, to be hospitable and meet the needs of those around us. So I encourage you to seek out opportunities to meet those needs, to take action in people's lives, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But these things, biblical hospitality involves more than just the actions, but it also involves our attitude. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, Peter writes, he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Sometimes it's easier said than done. If you've ever done something that you know it's the right thing to do, but you do so through gritted teeth and you're like, I know I ought to do this, but I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's not the attitude. The attitude that we ought to have in showing hospitality is joy and gratitude. Not grumbling and complaining, not just doing it because I have to do it. But, and, and I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, that that attitude is, is fostered and built up when we take time to stop and remember, and in our own gratitude, remember what Christ has done for us. So we're not just giving out of our own resources, but those resources that he may have given, our time, talents, treasures, whatever it may be, are an extension of what he has already given to us. So we are just stewards of it. So I can give unto others, I can treat others, I can show them the same love and care that has once been shown to me already so that I'm not just doing so out of a sense of duty and obligation, but out of a willingness and out of an intense desire, a a fervor, a zeal, as Paul had said, right? Outdoing one another. That I want to do these things. I want to go above and beyond because this is how I can share the love of Christ with a brother or sister. This is how I can share the love of Christ with a stranger to God. One who may still need to hear the truth of the gospel. And so as we serve, as we show hospitality, as you open your home, do so with a genuine smile on your face because you get to. What greater joy is it than to give to other people than to be that blessing for somebody else? I get this opportunity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've given me the time. Thank you that you've given me the resources. Thank you for giving me the home that I can open, that I can give, that I can be that resource to somebody else. Thank you. Thank you. It's a privilege to be part of this. And this is what it looks like in the church. This is what it ought to look like in the church. To be doing these things, spurring one another on, having each other in our homes, uh, getting to know one another. Because here's the reality. You want to know the needs of people in your life? You need to spend time with them. We're going to talk about generosity as one of the, uh, the essential elements in the weeks to come, but I'm struck at the fact that the early church, they were uh, day-to-day attending church together. They were going to the temple together. Uh, modern day, that's us going to church together. They were breaking bread in their homes together. And as they were doing so, we were told, were told that they were contributing to the needs of anybody who was in need. 
They were taking care of each other's needs. Why? Because they knew what they were, because they were together. They were doing life together. They were rubbing shoulders with each other. So I'm going to ask you the question I asked at the beginning again. But this time I'm going to put the responsibility on you. When is the last time you invited someone over for dinner? And if you can't remember the last time, it's time. Call somebody up. We'd love to have you over for dinner. Dust off the board games, the cards, whatever you want to do. Enjoy spending time with someone. That's what the church does. And I am heartbroken in a sense to say that by and far in the church today, there's very little of that happening. There's very little of it. Very little throughout our weeks and our times. And, and I don't know if it's just because we've, we've overcommitted ourselves to different responsibilities and commitments that we, we can't fit in the, the rubbing shoulders, the doing life, the sharing a meal. But guys, if that's an essential element, if that's what we've been commanded to do as Christians and called to do and spurred on to do, should we not do it? Isn't that what priorities mean? Looking at our life and saying, man, okay, here's the things that are important to me, and you make time for what's important. When's the last time you had someone over? And you got to know them. You spent time talking about their life, understanding their family, understanding what's going on, their, their struggles, the things that make them joyful and excited, and you serve one another. And you extend that love towards someone that you maybe don't know super well. You're generous to the guests that may come into your home and your life. When's the last time? Maybe today's the day that you got to mark on your calendar and say, Tuesday night, man, we're having someone over. This weekend, we're having someone over. Go make some calls, invite some people, do something. So the last thing we want to have is that within the church that the only hospitality that's taking place is just merely uh, what's done by function and program. But not our nature and our character as God's people. That the only hospitality that would be going on is only happening within the walls of the church. That we maybe care how, how a visitor perceives our church when they show up on a, on a Sunday by chance. But I would argue, guys, that the hospitality that the Scriptures call us to is not one that just happens in this place. It's not a hospitality that is only expected of your elders. It's not a hospitality that's only expected of our worship team or someone who's standing at the door and greeting people. But it's a hospitality that the responsibility is put on your shoulders. Not to the person next to you. On your shoulders. To be hospitable in this place, in your home, and in your sphere of influence. So I encourage you to walk away with that and find opportunities this week and maybe even in the moments ahead to treat the outsider like an insider and to love your neighbor as yourself involving both your actions and your attitude as you do it. For it is a joy to give rather than to receive. Amen?